You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Ezekiel chapter 37. Many of you have probably seen this set of verses before. It's about the dry bones. And uh, it's about God giving life to these dry bones. So it is Ezekiel chapter 37. And you could turn there. We provide Bibles on the table because I think it's really cool to see it with your own eyes in uh, your own Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take uh, one of the Bibles that are on the table. We, we have those for you. Give it a good home. Read it. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 37, starting in verse 1, is about Ezekiel uh, looking at this, being in this valley of dry bones and God putting life, giving life to these dry bones. Here's what it says, Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. And then he he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. And I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and and say to them, uh, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied, and he commanded me, as, I, as he commanded me, and the breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. And today we're going to talk about um, sharing the gospel, sharing the good news. And I really believe that it's, it's, a, it's God's work. He allows us to be a part of it, but it's his work, giving life to something that is dead, giving flesh to dry bones. So let's pray this morning. Father, we come to you as, as humble servants. God, we, we know that it is, it is you alone that can do a miraculous work in someone's life and bring them to the saving knowledge that Jesus is Lord. God, we praise you that, that you alone can soften people's hearts and, and make their heart ready to receive the word of God. And God, we thank you that our life is, is secure in you, that we can know you, that we do know you, if we confess that you are Lord of our life. So God, we praise you. We thank you for this morning. We love you so much. And everybody screamed. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Thank you for that. Uh, A couple weeks ago, I shared with you, uh, tie my shoe as I speak, just so I don't trip up here. But a couple weeks ago, I shared with you my testimony, my own personal testimony of how I came to know Jesus. And it was in high school. I was invited to a a youth group. And and going to the youth group, I was then invited to uh, the winter retreat. And at the winter retreat, the youth pastor spoke about what will happen on Judgment Day. And he gave this analogy for a courtroom. He said, God will be a judge and and Satan will be there accusing you of sins and showing the world what you've done and all your sins. And God will say, are you guilty or are you innocent? And obviously you'll be guilty of those sins, those mistakes that you've made and you're punished. And 
But Jesus takes the, takes the punishment away from you if you accept and believe in him. And so in high school, for me specifically, on, on 1993, December 30th, I became a believer. I believed in Christ. And uh, there was a lot of things that led up to that moment. Um, there was a lot of my heart being softened with about two months prior to that moment. And um, in high school, I had a friend named Stratford Cutford Bannister the fourth. His nickname was Bo, so we just called him Bo. And Bo was already a Christian, and I was just fascinated. I was extremely fascinated that he was a Christian and that he knew what he believed, and he could answer questions. I mean, fascinating questions. In high school, I was very intrigued. I just began to, to grow and think and f- kind of philosophize about life and what the meaning of life was and wh- what I was doing on this earth and the, if there was a God, and I, I began to ask my friend Bo, who was a Christian, these questions, and he actually had answers. He could, he could tell me, oh, there is a God, because blah, blah, blah. He says, and I would ask him other questions, like, oh, what about Jesus? Is Jesus God? And he'd say, yes, and he'd quote verses. He was a really strong Christian in high school, and I just became fascinated with, with trying to find God. It was like God was putting something inside of me to, to get to know him. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night and, and just having questions. Questions like, oh, is there a devil? Or is there, you know, what, what is eternal life? What's this term born again mean? And just all these questions, and I would write them down on little pieces of paper, and, uh, or I'd write, the, if I didn't have a piece of paper, I'd write them down on my hand, and then I'd wait to meet with Bo during lunch. And every day, we walked to the same exact sub restaurant called Red, no, it was just called Robin Hood Subs. We'd walk like, it seemed like 10 miles just so we didn't have to eat the cafeteria food every single day to this sub restaurant. And on the way, I would just ask him questions. I would like drill him. I just, something inside of me was just so deeply yearning to know God and to figure out life that, that my heart was just so soft and I just had all these questions for him. And he, of course, loved answering them. And I think there's a big difference uh, as today, as we talk about uh, sharing our faith, this idea of salvation, this bigger, bigger thing of salvation, that as we, as we share our faith, there's a big difference in sharing our faith with someone whose heart is willing and receiving, and there's uh, between that and someone whose heart is hardened and has a wall up. I've, I've shared my faith before with uh, devout atheists. It seems like this will happen a lot, a situation like this, like, where someone in Sunday school will be having a conversation with an atheist and they'll be kind of in a debate and they'll feel as though they lose the debate and so they'll say, I know who you need to talk to. You need to talk to my Sunday school teacher, Joe. And so I will either call the atheist or email the atheist or have lunch with the atheist and it'll be me and the atheist having a conversation. And it usually, um, it, before I kind of like wised up to what was happening, usually like younger in my Christian faith, I would just love to get an argument with atheists and go back and forth and we would leave extremely mad and ticked and upset with each other and just furious. And nowadays I, I realize it's God alone who has to soften a person's heart. And, um, and so now I feel as though, like if I'm in a debate with an atheist, I feel as though I have won the debate if some amount any amount of truth has been delivered and that they know that I love them with the love of God then I'll say, I won that debate. <laughs> That's what I do. Anyways, there's a big difference between talking with like a devout, 
a staunch atheist that just is there just to argue, and someone who really wants to know about Jesus. I was Bill McPherson, the big guy that usually sits up in front. Uh, I was going to brag about him while he was here, but he's not here, so I'll still brag about him. You could tell him later that I talked about him. It's like, but he, I remember a couple years ago, uh, he first started coming to New Life, and his heart was so willing and ready to receive Christ. His God was doing a work inside of him. And I remember meeting with him, having lunch with him over there at the New Life Cafe, and he would just ask me questions. He would ask me, like, what's it mean to be born again? I remember him saying, oh, don't I need to clean up my life before I give it to Christ? And I would say things like, no, you know, give your life to Christ and he'll help you clean it out from the inside out. And he was like taking notes as we were having lunch. It reminded me just a little bit of my own testimony, how I was just so fascinated uh, about knowing who God was. And, um, I was watching uh, <clears throat> sermons on YouTube this week. That's what I do. You know, I sit around and watch YouTube sermons. And uh, I was watching a sermon on, uh, it was just entitled Evangelism of some sort. If you want to look it up, the guy's name is Paul Washer. And he was talking about evangelism. He was at this big conference. And he said something amazing that I just thought was genius. And I wrote it down. And he says this, We cannot convince a person to believe any more than we can raise the dead. And that's why I read that passage today about the dry bones. Uh, Ezekiel prophesying, praying over these dry bones. He didn't, he didn't do anything. It was God's work in those bones. And so to read this quote again, we cannot convince a person to believe any more than we could raise the dead. He goes on to say, it is a miracle when someone believes. We are on a fool's errand if we witness to the gospel, but God does not move in that person's heart. And I think it's, it's unbelievable that someone believes. It's a miracle when someone comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so today we are going to talk about salvation, specifically our role as believers, as Christians to share our faith. Um, But before we dive into that subject, a few announcements, shall we? Do you know that tomorrow is Memorial Day? Do you know that tomorrow is, uh, there's mill day at the park? Anybody going? Yes, I see that hand. I see that hand. Um, it's, it's at Bear Creek Park, which is like my side of town. I live in Manitou, so it's like south town. Look it up on a map. Bear Creek Park. It's noon to four. Come for free food. It'll be pretty cool. Um, so there's that. Uh, just to give you a little heads up, next month, it, this month there's the topic of salvation, but next month uh, the topic is going to be marriage and family. And we have a marriage and family pastor of New Life, uh, Mr. David Grothy, And he and his wife, for the last 13 years, get this, have been traveling around doing like wedding and marriage and family seminars. And uh, usually have to like go to a seminar and pay big bucks. But next month, he's going to be here uh, teaching us all, all the Sundays in June about marriage and family, which is usually a topic that we as college students think, oh, family, marriage, that'll never happen. But it's, it's things and it's decisions that we make now in our 20s that will affect what our family looks like um, in years to come. So anyways, uh, Mill Day at the Park, just a heads up about uh, marriage and family next month. And uh, if you are newish to the Mill Sunday School, we have these cards. You can give us uh, your email and uh, some information. We could put you on our either mailing list or email list. And uh, in exchange for these cards, if you give them to the people as you leave in the back, we will give you a CD that has some music from uh, like uh, Desperation Band worship music from the Mill Friday nights and a sermon from our Friday night meeting, which is the Mill. And uh, yeah. 
Is everybody doing good? Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm doing so good. <laughs> All right, thank you for that. That just helps me. Um, I, I want to turn in your notes to that, this first statement. It says, the gospel is foolishness. And if you've never heard that phrase before, I'm sure many of you have because it's actually a phrase in the Bible. But you might think, whoa, I thought, I thought we were supposed to believe in the gospel. Why is it foolishness? Well, Paul calls the gospel foolishness. If you want to look, I'm just going to read two verses. It's 1 Corinthians 1, 18 and 19. Paul is writing to the churches meeting in Corinth, this ancient city, and he says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And he goes on, For it is written, I will destroy the the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. And and at another point in, in in the New Testament, Paul also says that he is not ashamed of the gospel. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But you know what? He had every reason to be ashamed of the gospel in his flesh, in, the, in a worldly sense, because the gospel's foolishness. The gospel, he also says, the gospel is a stumbling block. Um, and the gospel of Jesus goes against everything that this world says. Everything in our culture right now, 2009, the gospel is very different than the ideologies of today. And in fact, the gospel is very different in the ideologies of the time of Paul, which was the early church, the early, uh, early first century. And I have this book up here that I got when I was in seminary. It's called Documents of the Christian Church. And it's, uh, it's actual primary sources. Anybody like history in here? History fans? Yes. Um, Primary uh, in today has, in some ways, um, put an emphasis on us, on the person, and where the emphasis may be placed on God. Here's what I mean by that. If, if you're sharing your faith, it'll often sound, and I, I, I'm guilty of this as well, it'll often sound like, God loves you. That's a true statement. And, and you'll say something like, he, he's, God's got a wonderful plan for your life. Did you know that? That God loves you and that God has a wonderful plan in your life. And, you're like, and the person you're sharing your faith with is like, oh, wow, he loves me. He has a wonderful plan for me. And, and that's, those things are true. But I think the emphasis maybe should be the other way around. Maybe the emphasis should be like this. You know that there is a God and that he is worthy of your love and that um, he may or may not have a life that is, perfect for you, like, as in, like, you know, Aaron Stern is talking, on Friday nights, talking, been, been talking about success, and how success, worldly success, looks like fame, and money, and uh, cool cars, and jobs, and stuff like that. That's worldly success. But the promise of God for blessing and success may be spiritual blessing. It may not be money, and power, and wealth. And so, God does love you. He has a wonderful plan for your life, but that may not look like worldly success. And so we'll, we'll tell someone, God loves you. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Do you want to go to heaven? And they're like, yeah, duh. <laughs> if there is a heaven, I want to go there, you know? And, and so what you may be guilty of doing is, is, is saying, and I'm sure you wouldn't word it like this, but you say, okay, if, if, you know, if you know God loves you, you know he has a wonderful plan for your life, and you want to go to heaven, would you take five minutes and say this sinner's prayer with me? And they might be like, oh, it just takes five minutes. And you might be like, yeah, it just takes five minutes. Then you can go on with the rest of your day. 
I know we, you'd never say it like that, but I think sometimes we just, it's this idea of, you know, if we could just get them to say the sinner's prayer. Do you all know what the sinner's prayer is? The sinner's prayer is a prayer that uh, maybe, maybe if you come forward for an altar call, like when I got saved on that de- December 30th, I came forward and I kind of repeated a prayer that the preacher was praying and it was the sinner's prayer. Very simplified, I'm a sinner. I accept you, Jesus, for my sins. And uh, I think we as Christians today, maybe put too much emphasis on just that prayer. You know, if you just say that prayer, then you're saved. And you could go on about your day. And that's not, that's not how salvation works. I want to talk about that point for a second. But um, I'm not, I guess I would say, I'm not the biggest fan of the sinner's prayer. I'm not the biggest enemy either of the sinner's prayer. I got saved through the sinner's prayer. Um, but I know, for instance... If someone says had said the sinner's prayer maybe five years ago, and they're really no longer believing, very little faith, not living like a Christian, they're doubting their salvation, would you tell them, bro, listen, you, you're, you're definitely saved because you said the sinner's prayer a long time ago. Salvation's not about a one-time prayer. Salvation is about, you know, Romans ten nine says, um, believe in your heart, Jesus. And then it goes on to say, or the first part of that is, confess that Jesus is Lord. And that being saved, getting saved, is, is confessing Christ as Lord of your life. And, and out of that confession of God as Lord, salvation happens. And so I, I know that many of you would never think about it like that, but um, think about the, the sinner's prayer, I should say. The sinner's prayer is, oh, if I could just get someone to repeat after me and say the sinner's prayer, then they're saved. And you know what? I think, I think sometimes as Christians, I know that as a pastor, I may be guilty of maybe just manipulating uh, people to say a prayer. It's like, oh, if I can get you to say a prayer, then you're saved. And that's salvation is more about, you know, the Bible talks about being born again. You know, if, if you're flipping through your Bible trying to find the sinner's prayer, you're like, man, it must be in here somewhere. Jesus must have prayed the sinner's prayer you know, someone, he, Jesus must have led somebody in the sinner's prayer. Where is the sinner's prayer? You know, it's not in there, right? It's, it's like a 20th century invention uh, of, of simplifying how salvation works. And, and like I said, I'm not the biggest enemy of the sinner's prayer, but I just think sometimes we could put false emphasis, false faith in just a prayer when it needs to be a converted life. The Bible does talk about a new life. The Bible talks about, you know, Jesus says you must be born again. Those are red letters. That's what Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3. You must be born again. That's, a, that's Jesus' term. He says you ha- must have new life. Um, and that, that's more of how salvation works. Uh, I just want to close with the story of my first mission trip. My first outside of the United States mission trip was to Guatemala. And Guatemala was pretty sweet. Um, I didn't learn any Spanish <laughs> for the trip. Instead, I just learned the phrase, como se dice. And so I just say, como se dice this? And they'd say, Santa Biblia. And now, uh, sweet. And they'd como se dice this? And they'd just tell me what it was. And like, como se dice this? Or like, avocado. I was like, oh, it's the same word. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> and so I, I, there was an awesome mission trip. And I was very, like looking back, Uh, on that mission trip that I was on, I was very prideful thinking, I'm going to go to Guatemala and everybody's going to become a Christian. I'm going to lead all these people in the sinner's prayer and they're all going to get saved. This is like years ago when when I was prideful. Now I'm not prideful. (laughs) Just kidding, everybody. Lighten up. Um, uh, Anyways, uh, I went to Guatemala 
uh, we worked, we, we stayed in Guatemala City. We stayed at this nice hotel. We traveled a couple hours into the jungle, into the uh, mountainous, kind of mountainous regions of Guatemala. And we were in this little tiny village. And at this little tiny village, we worked with this church. And so here we were partnering with a mission organization, which is good if you're on a short-term mission, partner with a mission organization who's then partnering with a local church. And we were at this local church and we helped them uh, we, we helped them with our concrete floor. We like poured a floor. Uh, during the day, we'd uh, hang out with the kids. Then we put on this like uh, Christian p- puppet show where, you know, we talked about Jesus and there's like this little Jesus puppet healing people and stuff. It was pretty sweet. And then uh, in every evening, we'd, we'd have a prayer meeting and we'd pray and we'd share our testimonies in English and then had a Spanish translator. It was a great mission trip. Um, but I felt as though we weren't doing any altar calls. So we're really not doing any missions. And I wanted to do altar calls. And so we had a free day. A Saturday was our free day. And we were staying in, in Guatemala City. And I had this idea, like, oh, we should go to the city square and get up on a stage and, and preach and, and do some skits and have this big altar call in Guatemala City on our day off. And I was kind of like talking about this and, and I got a few other people to be like, yeah, I'll give up my day day off. And we were supposed to like go see, go do tourism stuff. And I was like, I got some people that, that said, yeah, let's figure this out. Let's figure out how we, we're going to do this big altar call in downtown Guatemala City. And the guy who was our missionary contact, lived in Guatemala, kind of found out about our plan. And he said, please don't do that. And I was like, what? We're going to make this big altar call and we're, we're gonna be, it's going to be awesome and we're going to lead tons of people to the Lord. And it's going to be awesome. And he, and he said, don't, don't do that. And it, it was just like, why not? Like he just took the wind out of my sails that I wanted to do this big show and, and big evangelism call. And he actually, later on in the conversation, he actually said, you know, if you want to do that, you could do that at the village that we're working with. And I was like, but... We, I want to do this big thing in Guatemala City was kind of my attitude. I, I didn't really talk about it, talk through it. But looking back, I realize now that the reasons why he did that, reasons why he said, don't do a big thing in Guatemala City. Why don't you do it in the town that we're already working with? Because becoming a Christian isn't about a one-time altar call prayer. It's about a life, about a born-again new life in Jesus Christ. And I just think, even if we were successful in this big altar call kind of thing in this square in Guatemala City, those people that got saved, you know, best case scenario, tons of people came forward and gave their life to Christ um, because I was preaching. And I, I didn't even think like, oh, I, I don't even have a translator. I was just going to start preaching in English. And uh, let's just imagine tons of people coming forward. What happens right after they get saved? You know, what church do they go to? How do I get them connected with other believers? I had no plan beyond saying the sinner's prayer. And I think so much of uh, of Christianity, sometimes as we share our faith, is all about, let's just get you to say this prayer after me. And I know that I'm guilty of that. But as I read the Bible and as I read the Word, I find that it's much more about a new life, a new creation, uh, dead to the old, alive to the new. And a Christian life is a confession of Jesus as Lord, not, a, not in a one-time prayer, but with our whole life. So let's pray this morning. God, we are so thankful that we as believers get to carry out what you've called the the great commission that we are to go and make disciples. God, would you give us, God, as we open our hearts to you this morning, God, would you give us, the Sunday school attendees in this room, divine appointments, opportunities, Father, this week 
even today, tomorrow, very soon. Father, we pray for divine appointments that you might use us to share the faith, the good news of Jesus Christ. God, use us. We say to you, use us. God, we love you so much. We praise you for the grace that is inside of us. We praise you, Jesus, for this free gift of grace that you've given to us that we might have salvation. We love you. We praise you. We leave here glorifying your name, awaiting opportunities. And everybody said, amen. All right, my peeps, you're officially dismissed. I'll see you next week for one last session of Soteriology, Study of Salvation.